Well, we are currently in a series called Red. In most Bibles, the words that Jesus spoke are printed in red, and these are words of hope. Now, so far in this series, we've talked about hope in times of temptation. We've talked about hope for life's disappointments. Today, this being Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to be talking about hope for eternity. By the way, do you have hope for eternity? And if so, where is your hope placed? There are two things that I want to focus on as, we, as they relate to our hope for eternity. First of all, I would suggest that it's found in a person. The hope that we have today for eternity, the hope that we have for eternal life, the hope that we have for our salvation, it's found in a person. John 11 and 25, Jesus said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. The truth of the matter is our only hope for eternal life with God can be found in a person and only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to suggest four things about this person. First of all, I would suggest that he was a predestined person. Jesus was a predestined person. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Notice this phrase, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. See, see, because of God's omniscience, because of God's foreknowledge, he knows what's going to happen even before it happens. Now, before God formed man out of the dust of the earth, he knew that man would sin because he knows everything, because he knows the future, because of his omniscience. Even before God created man, he knew that man would sin, and he knew that, man, that sin would separate man from God. But God loved man so much that he created him anyway. And before he even created man, God predestined his very own son to be the bridge that could ultimately bring a fallen man back to God. Our only hope for salvation and an eternity in the presence of God is found in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ, God's only son. But not only was Jesus a predestined person, he was also a partnering person. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40 says, and Jesus is speaking and he says, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven, notice, to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given to me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 
Our salvation and hope for eternity is the product of a partnership between the Trinity, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the provider. He's the provider of salvation. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only Son that whoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting God the Father is the provider of salvation. Jesus, God the Son, is the person of salvation. Yeah, God the Father provided salvation, and the provision that he used was Jesus, his Son. Well, the Holy Spirit was the power of salvation. See, see, Jesus was placed in the womb of his mother Mary by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did all of his miracles and was able to live a totally sinless life. He did all of that through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave him the courage in the Garden of Gethsemane, Garden of Gethsemane to say, Not my will, God, but your will be done. And it was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to go to the cross, empowered him to remain on the cross, and empowered him to die on the cross. And Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, friends, our salvation and our hope for eternity is the byproduct of a partnership between the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' part was as the person of salvation. Jesus, who is and who was as much God as the Father was, who lived with his Father in heaven, who had all of the rights and the privileges and the power and the provision that his Father did. But he willingly, say willingly, yet he willingly, at the request of his Father, laid down all of his rights, all of his privileges that he had in heaven, he stepped down from his royal throne in heaven and stepped into a total mess called earth. He laid down all of his God powers, all of his God privileges, and he picked up all of the challenges and all of the limitations and all of the struggles of man. Literally, the Son of God became the Son of Man. He walked in the shoes of man. He tasted every pain. He tasted every problem. He tasted every perplexity that life has to offer. He did this for his father, and he did this for us. And Jesus willingly died, uh, laid down his life by going to the cross. When my kids were little, I had a lot of fun with him. I don't understand... Parents don't, don't have fun with their kids. I, I loved uh, being a dad, and I loved having my kids. And when they were little, we had a lot of, a lot of fun. And I had a lot of fun with them. They, they were small, they were naive, and they'd do anything that I taught them to do. I've used this before, but many of you have not heard the illustration, but I, I, I would teach my kids, and then I would bring them in front of people and I'd have them perform and I would, uh, one thing I would do is I would, I, would, I would ask my kids when they were little, how much do you love grandma? And they'd raise their hands, I love yeah. How much do you go, love grandpa? That much. How much do you love daddy? How much do you love mama? 
Well, when my first grandchild was born, one day I came home and my grandchild was in the living room with my wife and my wife hollered at me and she said, she said, come, come into the living room. I went into the living room and my first grandchild, Briley, my wife said, Briley, how much do you love mama? How much do you love daddy? How much do you love Grammy? How much do you love Papa? <laughs> Paybacks are tough. They're tough. The world asked Jesus, Jesus, how much do you love us? And Jesus responded by stretching his arms out on the cross and saying, I love you this much. Our hope for eternity is found in a person, a, oh, a predestined person, a partnering person, and a perfect person. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says that Jesus was tempted in the same areas every man is tempted, and yet he did not sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, a perfect sacrifice was required and had to be offered to God in order for man's sins to be forgiven and for man to be brought back into right relationship with God. And on the cross, God placed all of the sins of man upon his son. The worst part of all of the cross, it wasn't the nails in his hands and feet. It wasn't the spear in his side. It wasn't the crown of thorns that was upon his head. The worst part of the cross was the fact that God had to collect all of the sin of all mankind and place it upon his sinless, spotless son. On the cross, God placed all of the sins of man upon his son. And then God judged his son for the sins of man. My sins. My sins were placed on Jesus. Your sins were placed on Jesus. Every single sin that man would ever commit was somehow supernaturally placed on Jesus on the cross. And then God poured out his wrath for our sins On his perfect son. God spared us his wrath by allowing his son to take his wrath for us. Oh, can we pause for just a moment this morning? Can we thank God for his mercy and thank him for his grace? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love me, that you are willing to do for me what I could not do for myself. We're talking about hope. For eternity today. It's found in a person, a predestined person, a partnering person, a a perfect person, and a powerful, powerful person. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit 
of the church. And then Hebrews 10 and 10 says God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was able to pay the ultimate price for our salvation and provide us hope for eternity. Through his perfect life, his providential death, and his powerful resurrection. Oh, though we were once separated from God by sin, we can now be steered back to him by our Savior. Ephesians 2 and 13 says, Although you were far away from God, you are now brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Aren't you thankful that we aren't serving some wimpy, powerless Savior. Oh, oh, He is so powerful that He and He alone has the power to reconcile man to God. Oh, what a Savior. We're talking about hope for eternity. Two things today. First of all, it's found in a person. It's found in a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the second thing that I must tell you about today, and that is it requires our participation. See, although God provided us salvation through Christ, we must participate with God if it is to become personal. I'll quickly suggest three things that we must do. First of all, first thing that we must do, and that is we must acknowledge our sin and our need of salvation. Acknowledge our sin and our need of salvation. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. That is man is extremely prideful. Man is so stinking prideful. Man likes to flex his muscles and strut his stuff. Hear me this morning. Pride is the biggest barrier man must break through in order for him to be saved. Because man looks at his life and he says to himself, I'm a pretty good old guy. I'm a pretty good old Joe. I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anyone. I've never robbed anyone. I've never done anything that bad. I've never been in, in, uh, in, in jail. I pay my bill. I'm a good person. Why do I need to be saved? Why would I need a Savior? But Romans 3 and 23 says, all have sinned and fall short. Of God's glorious standard. How many have sinned? Who does this include? All of us. Not only must we acknowledge our sin and our need of salvation, but number two, we must ask for forgiveness and we must abandon our sin. Acts 2 and 38 says, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized to show you have received forgiveness. Of sins. And Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 says, Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Our part includes asking God to forgive us and save us. And when we do that, he gives us the power to abandon our sin. See, it's not on us, it's on him. Oh, but pastor, I I just can't live the life. Stop living the life and start allowing the Lord to empower you to live the life. 
You'll never be able to get there on your own. You'll never be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do enough good deeds. It's already been done for you. But through the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of repentance, he gives us the power to live above sin. Gives us the power to abandon our sins. Sin's chains are broken through the power of the blood of Jesus. That blood is available to us through genuine repentance. Third requirement that we must meet is this. We must aim our faith at God's grace. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages or the penalty for sin is death. But, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. In order for us to receive salvation and have hope for eternity, we must aim our faith at God's Grace. God's grace. What is God's grace? God's grace is God doing for us what we can never ever do for ourselves. God's grace is God sending His Son Jesus to the cross. Grace is God placing our sin on His Son on the cross. Grace is God pouring out His wrath for our sin on His Son. That is God's grace. Grace alone can't save us. Only when we place our faith in God's grace can we be saved and have hope for eternity. Oh, Satan tells us all the reasons why we have no hope. Oh, he tells us we've been too bad. Oh, he tells us we've messed up too many times. Oh, he tells us we're not worthy. Oh, he tries to tell us that all of this Jesus stuff is all made up and you're just a bunch of fools. On and on and on and on, his endless list of lies go. Two voices speak into our ear, the voice of Satan and the voice of the Holy Spirit. The question today is, which voice will you choose to listen to? The takeaway for the message today is this. Only through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ do we have hope for eternity. 1 Corinthians 15 and 17 says, If Christ be not raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. The good news is Jesus did rise from the dead. Yes, yes, he died on the cross, but three days later he walked out of that tomb. How do we know he did? Well, over 532 eyewitnesses of Jesus after his death. History records him. But my favorite is the old song we used to sing. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. What voice are you listening to today? Ever since I met him, there's been a tug of war in my soul. All I ever really wanted was to fight the Roman oppression. 
but we needed a leader. So when I started following him and the crowds responded, I thought, maybe Maybe he's he's the the one. one. At least that's what I hoped when I started following him. All my life, I just wanted to feel like I fit in. Well, Jesus even gave me a nickname, The Rock. Being with him made me feel alive. It's like with his love, he threw me a lifeline. He was always using seafaring analogies. I'll make you fishers of men and things like that. I just wanted to know when he's going to overthrow the, the Romans. The Romans weren't the problem. It was the Pharisees. They were so jealous of him. Everyone wanted to make it into this big political thing, but it wasn't. John and I understood that it was about people. He simply loved people. People kept telling me that if he wouldn't start the revolution, then I should. So that's when I went to the chief The chief priest couldn't accept that he was the Messiah. But I saw the miracles, the healings, the transfiguration. Those were all real. Not just stories. stories. He loved telling stories. Parables, he called them. But anytime he would mention a wicked servant or a prodigal son or a cursed fig tree, I couldn't help but think he was talking about me. Sometimes, when he looked into my eyes, I felt like there was no one else but me. He gave me the courage to do what the other 11 wouldn't dare. One night, when we were out on the sea, I saw him walking across the water. And he called out, get out of the boat and come to me. So I tried tried to have faith like Peter. When it came time to actually take a risk, I got scared. How is it that we all saw a ghost, but he saw Jesus? Jesus. One night he even knelt down and washed my feet. I didn't feel worthy, but he insisted. And when we hugged, I could feel the beating of his heart. Heartache led to frustration. I felt like an outsider. Sure, I handled the money, but he never really trusted me. So when he didn't fulfill my expectations, I got impatient. Pride, greed, and fear Fear consumed me me last night when I denied him. Not just once, but three times. The women all stayed at the cross, but I hid like a coward. And now he's gone. So today, I don't know what's What's going to happen now. Well, pardon my pun, but I'm at the end of my rope. Rope burn only comes when you start losing your grip. Today, God seems silent. So my only hope is to tie a knot and hold on to the The last thing thing I heard him say say is he was going to rise from the dead. 
Well, I can't live with the fact that I caused his execution. 30 pieces of silver and a kiss. So for every promise, I tie a knot. And for all my regret, I tie a noose. You have a choice to make today. Will you be like Peter and tie a knot? Tie a knot and hang on to the hope that Jesus truly is the Son of God who died on the cross for you and rose from the grave on the third day? Or will you be like Judas and tie a noose? Rejecting Jesus and his substitutionary work on the cross, rejecting God's grace, which is our only hope for salvation. That is just the same as tying a noose around your neck and committing spiritual suicide. Which will you choose today, the knot or the noose? Which will you choose today, God's grace or God's wrath? Do you have hope for eternity? Have you placed your faith in God's grace for your salvation?